Let's take our Bibles together and let's turn to John chapter 18. And that's not a mistake. That is correct. I realize that's at the end of John, not the beginning of John or Matthew. I'll explain that in just a moment. But just as a reminder, it is in this passage that Jesus says, for this purpose, I was born. John 18, verses 28 to 40. If you're able and willing, would you please stand and honor the reading of the word of God? That's ringing just a little bit up here for me. Is that ringing for y'all too? Yeah. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, we do come this morning rejoicing the birth of the King, King Jesus. And would you now take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts and do in us what you will for your glory and honor and for our good. Lord, as we bow the knee before your word this day, would you indeed open our eyes? Would you enlighten our minds? Would you soften our hearts? And yes, Lord, even would you bend our wills to yours? That is our prayer this morning. Teach us, we ask, in the name of and for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Several years ago, a man by the name of Michael Kruger, he wrote, wrote an article 
entitled A Postmodern Christmas. I may have shared this with you before several years ago, but in that article, he wrote this. He said, people are no longer celebrating the truth of Christmas, but rather they are celebrating the truth that they have attached to Christmas. Thus, in effect, people are celebrating themselves. It's not about God becoming man, but about man becoming his own God. Welcome to the era of the postmodern Christmas. You know, when we think about the truth of the Lord Jesus, when we think about the truth of God, or we think about, more specifically, the truth of God becoming man, we are not free to attach a meaning to these things by our own understanding or by our own imagination. We're not free to imagine God the way that we want to imagine Him. We're not free to fashion Him into our own making. We're not free to make Him into what we think He ought to be like or what we think He should be like or what we want Him to be even. He has revealed Himself to us in the pages of His Word. Paul told the Athenians, he said, we ought not to think that he is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. But he is, he says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, and does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So just as Scripture reveals to us who God is and what He's like, it also reveals to us the importance of what we celebrate at this time of year. The incarnation of Christ Jesus, of God becoming man. And why is it that we celebrate the birth of Christ? Because we do celebrate who He is. And yes, we celebrate what he's done for us. And just as we don't read the scriptures in a vacuum, that we don't read all the, we don't read particular parts of scripture as if they don't belong to a larger context. In the same way, we don't celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus apart from its context. Yes. He came as a child. He, he was born in a manger and all of those things that we usually concentrate on in this time of year. He came as a child, but he came as king. He came with a purpose. He came to save his people from their sin. He says, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this, I have been born. And for this, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. For this, I have been born. Again, our passage on this Christmas morning is not at the beginning of the Gospel of John or even one of the other Gospels, but it's at, the, at, at a time of the life of Christ, at the very end of his earthly ministry, just prior to going to the cross, even the time of his sentencing. But it is for this that he's been born. It is for this. So, just a little context. Jesus has been taken to Annas, and then he was taken to Caiaphas. They're holding this mock kind of trial for Jesus. And now in our text, they bring him before 
Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea. And we find several things that take place. We find first that there's an effort to silence the truth. Secondly, we find that there's a, the revelation of the truth. And then we find an ignorance of the truth. And then finally, we find an opposition to the truth. So I want us to just walk through this passage, reminding ourselves, why did Jesus come? For what has he been born? Let's look first, shall we, to an effort to silence the truth. The Jewish officers, they had led Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate. But the text tells us that they themselves did not enter the praetorium. And they didn't enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled so that they could then eat the Passover. And we may read that and go, I'm not sure I understand what all is going on here. Well, the Passover meal itself would have been the night before. But the feast of Passover continued into the next following day. And so to be defiled meant for these leaders that would mean that these Jews would not be able to continue participating in the feast. And they wanted to do that. They didn't want to be uh, kept from coming to the feast. But in the Jewish leader's effort to silence the truth in regard to the Lord Jesus, they also exhibit a profound ignorance to the truth that they actually sought to silence. And you may be thinking, well, where are you going with this? These Jews here, they were being very careful to observe all of these rules, while at the same time showing not only an ignorance, but actually a hatred for the things of God. Here, Here they are bringing the King of glory up on false charges, bringing this true Passover lamb before the court and would not even enter the praetorium so that they wouldn't be defiled. You see, there was this extra biblical teaching found in the Mishnah that a Jew who entered the dwelling place of a Gentile would be ceremonially unclean. And so to to enter the praetorium guard, to the Roman leader's place of governing, That would certainly defile them. So if they were to do that, they wouldn't be able to eat or to partake of the Passover feast. But again, notice the great irony here. The scrupulous concern for ritual right in the midst of the context of the murder of Jesus. They were so concerned with following all of these legalistic ceremonies of all they did and yet were apparently unconcerned with the state of their own heart. Jesus had said, whitewashed tombs that on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they're filled with dead men's bones and all uncleanness. This This is what they were. Jesus also says, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Calvin says of this, he says, they do not consider that they carry more pollution within their hearts than they can contract by entering any place, however profane. Why do I bring that up on a Christmas morning? Because it's the Lord's Day, brothers and sisters. It's not just Christmas morning, it's the Lord's Day. And may we not be in our own lives. May we not not carry out ritual while our hearts are far from the Lord. May it not be in our lives as the Lord 
said through Isaiah the prophet that the people draw near to me with their words and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. May that not be for God's people. May we love the Lord our God with all our heart. One of my seminary professors, and I've said this to you on a number of occasions in the past, one of my seminary professors was so fond of telling us, and it was something that he repeated over and over again. It's so good for seminary students to hear, but it's also so good for people like you and me, normal, everyday believers to hear. And it is this. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? What was in their heart? These Jewish leaders, what was in their heart but murder, hatred against the things of God? They desired to silence this Jesus. They desired to silence the truth. Because you see, for them, it had already been decided. It had already been decided. This was just a mock trial. John doesn't record all the goings on for us, but only parts of it. But the Jews, they they thought they could take Pilate, or they thought that they could take Jesus before Pilate and, and their recommendation before him, and Pilate would just simply rubber stamp it and they'd be done with it. That's what they were expecting. But that's not what happened, is it? In fact, Pilate surprises them with a trial. And he and he and and even sends Jesus back to Herod. And so it wasn't going exactly as they had planned it to go. But their intentions certainly are clear. Pilate, Pilate asked them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And the only thing with which they respond, and notice how they respond. He says, they say, if, if this man weren't an evil do, doer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. We wouldn't have delivered him to you if he weren't an evil doer. Or you're going to have to do a little bit better than that. Because that's not evidence. That's just you saying what you, don't, what you think about him. You need to bring a little bit of evidence before me. And so Pilate tells them, he, he tells them to judge, judge him from themselves according to their own law. But this was, the, this was that issue, wasn't it? They weren't permitted to put anybody to death. The sentence had already been decided. They were just trying to find out a way to carry out that sentence. They wanted him dead. They wanted him silenced. Whether it was carried out legally or illegally, it didn't matter to them. They just wanted Jesus silenced. But the truth isn't silenced. And in fact, we even see it revealed in Pilate's questioning of the Lord Jesus. We see the revelation of the truth. And Pilate asked him in verse 33, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? You see, the the official charge against Jesus was blasphemy. But in order to bolster their case before the Romans, the Jews had entered in this issue of kingship because they had to get the the Romans on their side. And it becomes larger even as the events unfold. As we see in 1912, when they they argue to Pilate, they say, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. And they, they make the argument, uh, everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. They're trying to convince them, trying to convince them. And so Pilate asks Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate doesn't ask that question because he uh, desires to understand the kingly work of the Lord Jesus. Pilate doesn't care about that. 
Pilate simply wants to know what's going on. Pilate simply wants to know if this guy's a threat to him or not. That's what Pilate's trying to figure out. And yet, he doesn't seem too concerned with this Jesus at the moment. But it is interesting, isn't it, that this issue of kingship is not the first time that this comes, has come up. Some 30 years earlier, Herod the Great had heard exactly the same thing. Remember the wise men in Matthew chapter 2? Where, where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? And you remember what Herod did? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod also wanted to silence him. And he was just a baby at that time. But he wanted it silenced. And so what did Herod do? But he killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and younger, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Again, this isn't the first time the title the King of the Jews was given to Jesus. And when it is given to Jesus, it provokes a pretty significant response, doesn't it? But notice Jesus' own response to it. He says, are you saying this to me on your own accord or did somebody put you up to it? Are these somebody else's words? Did others tell you about me or are these yours? And we may wonder, why, why is it that Jesus responds in, in this way? He doesn't answer with a simple yes. He doesn't answer with a simple no. And he doesn't do that for several reasons. You see, Pilate wasn't seriously inquiring as to the nature of his kingship. Because that even shows when Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate doesn't even really care about that. What do the Jews have to do with me in this matter, he says. But there's also this other emphasis on testimony and testifying to the Christ. And if we were to read the whole of the Gospel of John, we would see that come out. He's brought it up in, throughout the thing. And so, so he's saying, are you, are, you asking, are you asking this because you want to know if I'm king or because others are actually testifying concerning me as king? Jesus doesn't answer Pilate directly as to give him an excuse to dismiss him as a crazy person or even to condemn him there on the spot. To answer directly, yes, Pilate might have just thought that this guy was a pretender or one who's trying to perpetrate a lie and he could have just dismissed him out of hand. Or if he had answered no, wouldn't have been the whole truth. For while certainly he's not a king in the manner that Pilate would have thought, he truly is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So Pilate says, Pilate says, what have you done? What have you done? I mean, just imagine the scene. What have you done that's put you before me today? So Pilate asks, what have you done? And Jesus answers him by telling not what he's done, but he actually answers him by telling him who he is. And what kind of king he is. He says, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Now Jesus tells him of his kingdom before he answers whether he is a king. Why does he do that? I believe he does that for two reasons. One is that he, he's, he's communicating, I've got a kingdom, a 
And that kingdom is real. And that's one. And yet the kingdom's not of this realm. Yes, I've got a kingdom, but the kingdom's not of this realm. Jesus says, he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Jesus describes the citizens of his kingdom as those who are of the truth and they listen to his voice and they, they hear his voice. This was also been a theme in the Gospel of John. If, if we were to go back to John chapter 10, we would read about Jesus as the great shepherd and where it says the watchman opens the gate for the shepherd, the sheep listen to his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And back then they didn't understand that teaching either. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also, he says, and they, they too shall listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and there shall be one shepherd. So Jesus had explained to them because they didn't understand. Here in the same way, Jesus is communicating the citizens of his kingdom are those who listen to his voice. Citizens of his kingdom are those who are of the truth, the truth to which Jesus testifies and the truth that Jesus is. The citizens of God's kingdom, of Christ's kingdom, listens not to the voice of the world, but listens to the voice of the Lord Jesus. We listen to our king and not to the world. Yes, Jesus answers I've got a kingdom, but it's not of this world. And Pilate actually understands it a little bit. Not not completely, but he understands it a little bit because he says, he makes the proper conclusion. So you are a king, he says. Because after all, I mean, the conclusion that he draws is really simple. If Jesus has a kingdom, then that makes sense that he's a what? He's a king, right? Somebody has a kingdom, then they are a king. And so Pilate asked directly, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say correctly. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I've been born. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. So the wise men were right. This is the king. The king of kings. But not just to Jews not to the Jews only, but to all people. He is indeed the King of Kings, as Paul tells us. He is the King Eternal. For this, for this he's been born. And, and, and try to even just try to wrap your mind around that. For this he's been born, and yet he's the King Eternal. That's what we celebrate. We don't simply celebrate a baby in a manger. We celebrate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't celebrate celebrate Christmas in a vacuum, disconnected from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate, he was acting like this was just a Jewish thing. Why bother me? So Jesus was in a very real sense king of the Jews, Indeed, he was, is, prophesied king in the line of David, in the order of Melchizedek. But he is also the only king over all things. You know, sometimes people 
operate as if there's more than one truth. We see it in the world all the time, don't we? People operate as if there's more than one truth. People will say things like, well, I don't, or, or even maybe not say them out loud, but think and act in ways that communicate. You know what? I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about Christ because I don't believe in that religion. They might say it that way. I believe, I, I have to believe what my religion tells me, or I have to believe what, what the truth that I believe is. And so long as I do that, as long as I have sincerity of belief, then I'm somehow fine. Sincere belief, and particularly you young people, you need to hear this and be reminded of this. Sincere belief doesn't make something true. That's a principle. Write it down. Just because you believe it and you believe it sincerely doesn't make it true. The Scripture teaches us of the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way, truth, and life. And that's not arrogant. It's not elitist. It just is the truth. And it's this truth to which we must testify. Brothers and sisters in the church, talk about a motive for missions. If that is the case, and it's what the Scripture teaches, then what's the only hope for a lost and dying world but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What have we taken up our cause to be in the midst of a world around us? Is it this truth? Or is it something else? This, this is the truth to which Jesus testifies himself. He is truth. But, but why would we? Why would we expect Pilate to understand this? Jesus says, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And, and Pilate, Pilate shows his ignorance by, of the truth by asking the question, what is truth? And you can almost sense the irony here. It's so thick. Here's Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, what is truth? And it's standing right in front of him. Literally standing right in front of him. But the text is, is interesting because it says Pilate uh, immediately went out again to the Jews. It's almost as if we're meant to see this picture that Pilate didn't even wait for an answer. He doesn't really want an answer. He didn't wait for the answer because he wasn't really asking for an answer. Had he been genuinely asking for an answer, he would have seen the truth that was standing right in front of him. Jesus is that truth. And, and isn't it interesting? And, and Pilate is no uh, philosopher. But it is so interesting that the philosophers of the world, they are applauded for asking such questions. Have you ever noticed that? Not just the philosophers of old, but even the philosophers of today. When faced with difficult questions or difficult circumstances, 
The philosophies of the world often answer not with an answer, but another question. And everybody sits around and goes, oh, that's brilliant. Why? They didn't answer a question. They just asked another one. That's not brilliant. That's ignorance. It's ignorance. And again, Pilate was no philosopher, but he does ask the question just the same. What is truth? It's not wise to ask such a thing when it's staring you in the face. Shows not their wisdom, but their foolishness, doesn't it? The truth is Christ, and yet there's a deep ignorance. And they're ignorant because they can't see the truth that's right before them. Did did you know, and most of you probably do, that a person who believes that the existence of God is not provable is called an agnostic. That's what that person is called. And an agnostic says, there may be a God, but for me, I just don't know. Well, it's interesting that the Latin word or the Latin form of this word is, I love this, ignoramus. Because ignorance is nothing more than an excuse to reject that which has been revealed. Ignorance is an excuse when the truth is standing right before you. Romans 1 tells us, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. What is truth, Pilate asks? It is Jesus Christ. The one who stands right before you, Pilate. It seems so simple, doesn't it? It seems so simple. And we might even ask the question, why don't people see? Or maybe why won't people see? It seems truth, when we think about it, is such a common thing. Or maybe we think of it as a common sense thing. But brothers and sisters, to see the truth is actually supernatural. Supernatural. Because trying to understand by our own wisdom, apart from the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of men and women and children like you and like me, we would never understand. People do not understand. We would remain ignorant of the precious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit's work. And to be ignorant of the truth really is to be opposed to the truth. Jesus himself says that he's not with me me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So while Pilate may have seemed somewhat agnostic, in his response, it's no better than being opposed. And, and there were some. There were some there that were just outright opposed, even to, the, even to the point of murder. But Pilate, he, he went out again 
to the Jews. And what did he say to them? He says, I, I find no guilt in him. But y'all have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release uh, for you the king of the Jews? Uh, well, this in itself shows the danger of ignorance, doesn't it? And what may be done out of ignorance results in the aggravated handing over of the Son of Man. Pilate, Pilate couldn't find any legal grounds on which to indict Jesus, and yet he, he doesn't dismiss the case. But because Pilate rules more by uh, popular opinion, public opinion, he just kind of gives Jesus up to the straw vote. says, who do y'all want? After all, it's a custom. I release one of these prisoners, and who do you want? You want Jesus? Or, or do you want Barabbas? See, again, there was this custom there that the Jews would make a request, and one prisoner... Um, and the Jews, we learned from Mark, they'd already been calling, they'd already been calling for the release of, of Barabbas. And Barabbas, mind you, is a murderer, a thief, an insurrectionist. And so Pilate says, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Well, it's kind of interesting. If Pilate really thought that they would choose Jesus, he really didn't know about the people that lived amongst them. He really didn't understand the Jews and the Jewish leadership at the time. I mean, we know from John's introduction that Jesus came into the world and His own did not receive Him. From the very beginning, we knew that Jesus would be rejected. From the very beginning, even Pilate, even watching what went on within the world, would have guessed, possibly, that they would not pick the Lord Jesus. And in fact, they, they don't. They choose a murderer and a thief over Jesus. Gordon Ketty, he's a common commentator on this uh, passage, and he remarks, Godly men, far less self-proclaimed messiahs, are not great vote winners among the children of Adam. In the streets of Jerusalem, Barabbas was the hero. I wonder, sometimes I thought of this uh, when I read this again, that I wonder who the hero would be at the streets of Northwest Arkansas. And then it hit me. I wonder who the hero would be in the heart of Chris Miller. I wonder who the hero would be in your heart. Would it be Barabbas? Or would it be the Lord Jesus? Here standing before Pilate and all the people was the truth. Truth and righteousness. And instead, what do they choose? Ignorance and depravity. What is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He was born of a virgin. Lived a perfect life. I mean, you know the story. But it's no mere story, is it? 
It's the truth of the gospel. Lived a perfect life in your stead and in mine. Because you know as well as I do that we sin in thought, word, and deed daily. And that if it were up to us, we would be condemned before the Lord. And yet the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life and his righteousness is imputed to you so that when you stand before God, it is not your works, it's not your effort, it's not your performance, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he also paid for those sins. In his death, took the wrath of God for you upon himself that you might be cleansed and that you might live eternally in joy. And there may be some of you this morning, there may be some of you this morning who have heard the gospel truth over and over and over again. And yet you, like Pilate, Say, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Everything to do with you. Eternity is at stake. See, the birth of this baby in a manger isn't just some trivial thing we celebrate once a year. The birth of this baby in a manger has eternal consequence for sinners like you and like me. So yes, he came as a baby born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But he came as king, as the truth. The king has come and revealed his truth to all those who hear his voice. For this he was born. For this, he was born. And because of that, we can, even as we already have done, as we began the service, because of Christ Jesus, we can say, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you get to go home this afternoon singing the praises of a God who has sent his son in your stead. For that, he was born. You get to go home today and rejoice that you, if you know the Lord Jesus, you do not stand condemned, but you stand righteous before him. So rejoice. The King has come. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we stand. Lord, I don't often do this, but there are times when we think in your word and the gospel is so clear to us. This is, Lord, this passage of scripture is so wonderfully beautiful in its simplicity and yet in its profundity. Lord, there may be, there may be folks, people, who not only are ignorant, or not just simply ignorant, but there may be those who are opposed. 
and think that I don't need that. Would today be the day that you drop the scales from their eyes and the veil from their heart and that you would remove the stone heart and make it flesh? That you would remove their pride, their arrogance, and may they bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. And for your people, for those that do know you, Lord, many of us also, even as we do believe, we often do and need to cry out, help us in our unbelief. For we often go back to our flesh or our struggle with our flesh. We too need to be reminded of that which you have done in Christ Jesus. And we need to rejoice. Lord, there are many even in our midst that are grieving. And for these times of year where we usually gather together with those that we love, and, and for many they, instead of rejoicing, they're struggling to rejoice. Would you turn their hearts to the Lord Jesus and may they, may they find the joy of your salvation even today and may it be sweet. Turn all of our hearts to you, we ask, that we might live in a manner worthy of our calling. Lord, that you might be glorified and that the name of the living Christ might be exalted in our midst. This is our prayer. We pray in his name. Amen.